Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 107 for Saturday, May 7th, 2022. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gaggy, and I'm joined by my captain. It's Captain Sabriel Mastin, and wow, we're finished with season two. Season two of Picard, we are saying farewell to season two after 10 episodes. The penultimate season of Picard is done. There is no more. It's done. We are saying farewell. You know, I was reading an interview with Patrick Stewart. He said they finished filming season two at 7 p.m. And the next minute or the next morning, they started at 7 a.m. for season three. (laughs) (laughs) So this one's already in the can. They're just doing the post-processing now. That is exciting. It's good to know that they have one more adventure to go. But in the meantime, we have this most latest adventure to review. And we're going to be reviewing both season two, episode 10, and sort of in general season two in its entirety, because we're not going to be doing a separate episode of a season recap. So, Captain Sabriel, in a word or two, what was your thought about hey. Season 2, Episode 10, Farewell? That's my line. <laughs> well, I'm asking you. Question. Puzzled. Oh, wait, no, that's the response of you stealing my bit. Um, <laughs> appreciative. Appreciative. That is Content. a good word. Uh-huh. How about you? Those words describe my reaction as well. I, I like those words. Those are good words and apt words. But I am going to go with bittersweet. <laughs> okay, I can't wait to explore these feelings then. As listeners to the show know, I really enjoyed the first two episodes of this season that were set either in the future or in an alternate timeline of the future. And then I really enjoyed the last two episodes where they finally brought everything together. I'm disappointed that there were six mediocre episodes, in my opinion, in the middle. But the last two episodes, in a way, almost makes it all worth it. It was They were so good. Yeah, those middle, you know, it's one of those things in retrospect. I mean, we were even saying at the time, yeah, those middle episodes, there are some, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, Highs and lows or like filler moments. Mm -hmm. Every episode had something good or useful, but there felt like some filler. Um, And I think, again, goes back to the point we made before where this feels like this season was probably made to binge, not watch week to week. That's one of the things I'm wondering. As Steve Jobs once said, you can only connect the dots looking backwards. And I'm wondering if now, if I were to go back and rewatch season two, everything would make more sense because now I see, oh, that's why they did that. That's why they did that when they did that. Mm -hmm. And maybe it would seem less like filler if it has the full context of the season, but it doesn't change the fact that season two, episode 10, Farewell, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I had a lot of fun with it too. There was, I had tears. I um, <laughs> I tweeted this out, but uh, to someone I don't remember. Uh, but at the moment when Will Wheaton appeared, I screamed at the t- the, the screen I was watching. However, it was also about seven thirty in the morning. <laughs> uh, the only reason that the others who are in my house. Did not come down trying to see if I was okay. It was because I was the sounds of joy and laughter that came up afterwards. I did not expect that at all. That was a well-kept secret, huh? He <laughs> kept that. Everyone kept that so uh, keep kept that secret so well. In fact, I understand that it wasn't even in the opening credits. Oh, that's right. As you know, I often skip the opening credits to avoid spoilers, but they didn't put it there. That's a good point. Um. Uh, apparently, Guinan or Whoopi Goldberg was there, yes. but not Will Wheaton. Yeah. Um, I thought that was so fun. And after the news that he wasn't going to be in season three uh, a few weeks ago, and his moment of his little cost or not cost, a fan fiction story uh, that he wrote about him as a traveler a few weeks ago, the emotions all tied up with him uh there and all of a sudden bam surprise i knew it all along he's basically (laughs) telling us (laughs) so i have a lot of thoughts and questions about that scene my first one was unfortunately i didn't scream with joy i 
my initial response was skepticism because we have seen a lot of Star Trek actors in the first two seasons of Picard play multiple roles. And so when Will Wheaton showed up, I wasn't sure if that was Wesley Crusher. Did you think it was a long lost ancestor? (laughs) Yes, uh, it could have been an ancestor. It could have been somebody pretending to be Wesley Crusher. It could have been an entirely new character. Or, or, hi, I'm Will Wheaton, and I just saw you walking around with a cool tech device. Would you like to come on my show tabletop? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Also, two other things that influenced my opinion. One was... I was just in a laundromat two weeks ago and the TV was on and they showed an episode of Big Bang Theory that Will Wheaton was on. Mm-hmm. So I'm used to seeing Will Wheaton as Will Wheaton most recently, including on you know the, the Ready Room. And then also, you know, so, so I'm a big fan of facial hair. I have some myself uh, and I like Will Wheaton's facial hair. But when I see him with facial hair, I see him as Will Wheaton. And I imagine Wesley Crusher as clean shaven. And so when Will Wheaton showed up, I saw him as Will Wheaton and not as Wesley Crusher. So your brain is like, no, there are 30 years in between here that should not have happened. (laughs) Wesley Crusher is a baby. You can get to be 30 years older without growing a beard. (laughs) Yes, I can attest. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wow. No, uh, interesting different reactions there. To be clear, these aren't criticisms. I really uh-huh. enjoyed the show. I really enjoyed, I'm sorry, his particular appearance in the show. I like that all season, we've sort of been wondering, are we going to be learning more about who sends out these watchers? And we kind of did. We learned that they are the travelers and yeah. Will, and Wesley Crusher is one of them. Uh-huh. So that's that all we needed. It's that was, all. It was a really cool piece of lore to add to Star Trek. And that's a lore with a lowercase L. It was more than I even expected to get. Right. Uh, right. Uh-huh. And he has confirmed he is not going to be in season three, though. That was one of the questions I had for you. Does him appearing in season two soften the blow of him not appearing in season three? Uh, For me, it does. I mean, I think it would be great to have him there with his space family. And, you know, it maybe that doesn't necessarily mean he's not doesn't make an appearance still, uh, even if he's not a cast member for the entire season or most of the season. Um, so... Cool. I'm not going to expect it. So if it happens, it's a pleasant surprise. But for me, cool. It feels like I got the Wesley Crusher closure <laughs> uh, that uh, was requested, but didn't think I'd ever get. And in context, or in character rather, imagine Wesley Crusher knowing he was so close in time and space to Captain Picard at such a critical point in Picard's mm-hmm. life. Like, if I had been in that position, I would have wanted to go say hello to Picard, but I know I couldn't have because that would have yeah. influenced the timeline. But imagine Wesley Crusher. Like, I wonder what he was thinking or feeling mm-hmm. about his next generation captain at that moment. Yeah. Uh, also interesting. Uh, he met up with Corey at Echo Lake Park. I think that's the name of that park. Uh, the same place Talon did met with JL earlier this season. Okay, I was wondering if there was significance to that address. I didn't look it up, so I guess that is just the place where the past, present, and future tend to meet. Uh, for me, I didn't look up the address. I looked up the they did the aerial shot of that park, and it's tr- it's okay. a park you see in LA footage a lot. I remember even seeing it in the show Chuck. Mm-hmm. Um, it was going around at the beginning of the pandemic about look how quiet it is here, you know, and things like that. Um, it's just a famous park in LA, and I think that's Echo Lake Park. But any LA resident will probably go, "Bree, no, it is, <laughs> it is the unechoic Lake Park." Clearly, <laughs> yeah. So him meeting with with Corey, I, it, it's interesting. I liked his recruitment speech about it all being a tapestry, and in a way, he sort of is pulling her out of that tapestry mm-hmm. uh, because she is not going to be a part of the prime timeline in a linear fashion anymore. I wonder why he chose her, what makes her special or unique. I mean, she was genetically engineered, but as far as I know, she's not like a superhuman, nor do you need to be to be a traveler, I think. But I'm just wondering what put her on his radar. I don't need those answers watching that. For me, Corey is special on her own. Mm -hmm. That's enough for me. Yeah, and I'm not saying I need the answer, but... I still ask the question. Sometimes the questions 
are better than the answers, in my opinion. Here's another question. What sort and maybe your knowledge of Star Trek, which tends to be more comprehensive than mine, will have an answer to this. Did you recognize the transporter beam effect? Uh, it looked a lot like traditional transporter tech. It was not the same one that they used in the Traveler, um, which I think I don't think it was a flash of light. It was some weird other graphic times change. It it sounded like TNG kind of thing a little bit, or or some modern Trek. Um, but no, it was not familiar. Yeah. It very much looked and sounded Federation to me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious if there is some involvement between the travelers and some future iteration of the Federation. Eh. We may never know. Uh, remind me of the sound cue again, when we talk about Dr. Soom again, later on. Okay. Um, and, and that's sort of a related question, which is, who carries on the Sung genetic line? Because we know he has ancestors or descendants rather. I don't know. He's a geneticist. He's going to go. <laughs> he's got plans with the con guy. Con to guy. me, he doesn't need some kind of mate uh, to continue on that line. Do you want to talk about Sung? Yeah, we can jump up. Should I mean, we get there in order? Or do you want to jump to him? I mean, it's sort of thematically related to what we're talking about. Since we're talking yeah, about it is. Wow. Adam Soong fizz- completely fizzled out for me in this episode. So hard. Fizzled out. What does that mean in this context? He petered out as a villain. His final arc, act, or his, his final arc was just, I'm a jerk, trying to get through somehow. In next year, they've learned nothing about quarantine and let people just see the people who've been in quarantine for two weeks. Um, and I'm just a jerk who somehow gets across the world from France back to L.A. and can do anything. Oh, my plan doesn't work. I'm going to thrash around my apartment. And, oh, my stuff got deleted. Oh, no. Well, good thing I kept this classified file with the word con on here in case there's a camera watching me. Uh, It was his final bit here was just so, okay, got to connect the dots and things we said was going to (laughs) happen to me. It was, I didn't care one bit about him and nor did I expect him to win or succeed at all. He was not without negative effect on our heroes, but you're right. In the mission he set out to accomplish, he was ineffective ultimately. And we talked about maybe he would be redeemed. Maybe his daughter would show up and be like, I need you, dad. And that didn't happen. In fact, his daughter is the one who deleted all his files. And I recognize that cinematic technology is not the same as real IT and that only in Hollywood do you not have backups, offsite backups of all your data uh, with a lowercase d. But wow, she deleted everything and then he pulls out that file. She has a very powerful Microsoft Lens headset. (laughs) Right? And using a public library's Wi-Fi. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. But no, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm glad she did it. Uh, That part made sense to me. I thought maybe he would get some kind of redemption or, you know, nudge in the redemption arc. But no, this whole, his bit with, like, I didn't believe the drone subplot with Rio 7 slash Rafi was a danger at all. It felt like filler. That felt like a complete waste of time to have them running around his lab um, for this drone thing that clearly didn't happen. Um, was never going to happen. Was never going to be a danger. Um uh, his bit walking around NASA just being a jerk to ev- or or this bit. oh it was just bad. Yeah, I didn't like how condescending he was being to the people at NASA, and I, I know I brought this up before, but I still find it hard that given all the newspaper clippings that Corey found about him being a mad scientist and him being disbarred from all these places, and now he's lauded as a hero at NASA for donating a lot of money. I still find that inconsistent, but. Yeah, he is a jerk, man. I don't know. <laughs> Even the James Webb Telescope, people are finding out this guy was a complete jerk, and they're looking at trying to get them to rename it. <laughs> so it happens even at NASA. Mm-hmm. Is he um, still alive, James Webb? No, I don't think yeah. so. I think he was died a number of years ago. Yeah, these legacies tend to come out after the fact, as mm-hmm. social norms change and we re-examine the past. Yeah. 
so Adam Soong, his whole, his finishing bit there petered out for me. Uh, not that it was ever that strong in the first place to me. Because I don't think that was intended to be the most interesting part of the season. Mm-hmm. I think it was more about Jean-Luc's journey than yeah. Adam himself. Yeah, the most the most interesting scene Adam had was when he met Picard at the party, in my opinion. I thought it, I, I liked his bit when he was talking to Q earlier too in the season when they first met. Yeah, he seemed the less of a bad guy at that point. Yeah, that um, was true. Yeah, so again, I guess he was not intended to be a strong villain. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to be a minor foil mm-hmm. who had. You know, the story was built up on if we let him win, all this bad stuff happens. But he was not meant to be this huge mustache twirling behind everything villain. So I guess that's okay, but I've still felt underserved, if that's the right term. No, I think that's accurate. Yeah. So I guess he did his job and not being (laughs) the most interesting thing about the season. Good job. (laughs) Yeah. You fail at being a villain. (laughs) I felt it could have been better. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, slight tangent, that con folder he pulled out, I first interpreted it to mean that the eugenics wars were still on the way. They hadn't happened yet. And then I thought, well, maybe this is a folder that was produced as a result of the eugenics wars. But then I saw Strange New Worlds, and I'm like, no, this means that the eugenics wars haven't happened yet. So they are deviating from a previously established timeline for Star Trek, which had the eugenics wars happening in the 90s. They are... In some way, maybe there was like a eugenics pre-war that people far hundred like right now. We talk about wars hundreds of years in the past, probably not always to the exact year or whatever. I mean, we can know them, but you understand what I mean. We're talking about them more in generalities, right? And so, yeah, I guess it does kind of adjust some established discussions. But who knows? The person who told us the eugenics war was were in nineteen ninety six or whatever in the nineties, a uh, Kirk. Um, was correct as well. Records of those era are spotty. Exactly. That's like tied a, in. It's I, a very convenient line for them to have uh-huh. added. Yes. I think it was very much intentional so yep. they could adjust some things. Um, yesterday or today, I was reading an interview how like all the truck shows currently going on right now talk to each other about canon. And apparently they were even fighting over who got Wesley Crusher. <laughs> um, and Picard one out and not in a angry fight more like a jovial like we want him no we want him uh i wonder where else he could have showed up lower decks is a prime candidate sure uh but he ultimately clearly now we have established he could appear anywhere anytime too anytime anyone <laughs> that's impressive yeah there's some interesting things if you have not seen strange new worlds yet that it is not a spoiler at all for me to tell you. Uh, it's just bring it up that I ta- it's a discussion. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, I do want to talk about that more on Strange New Worlds. Uh, but since we are talking about Wesley, I actually I have two questions I meant to ask you uh, about his scene with Corey. Sorry to go backward like this. Um, in the context of Picard, not Next Generation, not any future spinoff or anything, but just Picard, do you think Wesley's scene with Corey added anything? In the context of what, the events that happened here, like, the, uh, like, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it answers the question that we probably weren't going to find an answer for. What happened to Corey? Okay, cool. And my other question is: Wesley Crusher had a scene cut from Star Trek Nemesis. That scene I just discovered in the last month or two. Oh, really? Is on YouTube. I had uh-huh. never seen it before. I always knew it had been cut, but I thought it was lost. Oh, yeah, it's there. It was bad. It was a good <laughs> reason to cut it. <laughs> Fucking uh, freaking Berman and that writing. You didn't think it was in character for Wesley Crusher? Even at that point, he had been traveling. There are just no. Okay. Hey, guys, girls, remember girls? Girls are good. <laughs> I like them a lot on Next Gen. I mean, it was so bad. That's a very accurate impersonation. Thank you. I actually hit play on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So my question is, even though that scene was cut, he was nonetheless in Nemesis. Mm -hmm. You can see him at the party scene in his Starfleet white uniform. Yeah, you can see his nose (laughs) on the very side of the screen. 
So does that mean that he traveled and then came back and joined Starfleet and then joined the Travelers? We don't know. He just dressed up for the occasion. That's possible. I mean, as a Star Trek alumnus, it's not Star Trek, Starfleet, maybe he had you know, permission to wear that apparel and that he didn't actually join Starfleet for the occasion. But again, it's not still, a question. Or he's still technically in Starfleet. They never said, no, oh, you are kicked out. Uh, just uh, what's that? What's that term when they have a? Sh- um, th- there's a term for when uh, like navy ships are lost, but they're still considered in service. I don't know that term. Uh, I, I, I used to. I would go on these Wikipedia holes, rabbit holes, not, all the time. Certainly not missing in action. No, um, but it was, there's a term for they, they basically a ship is still in service even after they're gone. Hmm. Interesting. Well, maybe that's what happened to Wesley Crusher. He was in service, just missing in time and space. Or maybe it wasn't even considered missing. Maybe maybe he came back and turned in his resignation. <laughs> hey, didn't want you guys worrying about me, so here I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, since, okay, so thank you for that tangent. While uh, Let's go back to talking about Adam Soong. And that ties into a lot of other stuff, actually, because the Borg Queen last week left us with a prophecy that there had to be two Renes, one who lives, one who dies. And we saw Talon fulfill that prophecy. Uh, I had th- thought that maybe we would see something like this happen because we've seen it in other shows where uh, there was a episode of The Flash that did something similar, for example. What did you think of that solution? I mean, sounded to me like she knew it was going to happen or possibly. Um, would I like it or did I like it? Yeah, I thought it was going to be happening. Um, when it was Renee at first for the first like 30 seconds, I was like, wait, really? But then, oh, wait, nope. They did a switcheroo. And then when Talon or Renee calls Jean-Luc, Jean-Luc, they're like, oh, definitely. And then like 30 seconds later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was, so I think her death served a very important purpose, and I don't think it should have gone any other way from a literary perspective, uh, plot-wise, because, well, I, I, technologically, it could have gone other ways. Like, we saw her, very much earlier in the season, controlling people in the park, like manipulating them and making mm-hmm. them say and do things. Why couldn't she have done that to Adam soon? But her death, for me, the most important part about her death was not saving Renee. It was twofold. One, her getting to talk to Renee. Uh huh. That scene was so beautiful. Oh no, that that was great, and I think her de- Talon's death would have been better. Not that they could have rearranged it. So it basically it lost a lot of emotional meaning for Talon to be dying with JL than like Renee. Uh, for mm. me, the emotional impact. I don't know how it's gonna make an ascent, how it was gonna make sense, but. Uh, her dying in JL's arms didn't really feel as emotional to me. However, I thought it was great. I thought it was beautiful that she finally got to talk to Renee. I loved that scene. I thought it was wonderful. Uh, yeah. And that Renee Picard was clearly like, okay. <laughs> yeah, Renee trusted her, even though she had every reason not to. She did. And I really loved that connection that they finally had after a lifetime of observation. And the, oh, observation, that is why Wesley Crusher used the words watch and observe, because that's what they do. I finally <laughs> figured that out. Uh, but the other thing that Talon's death really did for me, and maybe this ties in a sign you didn't like about her dying in JL's arms, but I feel like JL had recently been taught the lesson that she's not responsible, that he is not responsible for other people's deaths. And Talon really drove that home. Like it was a historical example to him previously with his mom. And she made it a present example. She she gave him an actual lived opportunity to practice that lesson. And I thought Picard's growth needed her to die. Uh huh. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, she's been telling him what I was in the season is all about. <laughs> he basically has to stop taking all that responsibility on himself. And uh, yeah. Uh, she's her death served that purpose. Um, it was still sweet and tender, and it kind of reminded me when they watched the rocket up in the air of his moment in um, the uh, sh- inner light. Yeah, inner light. 
and watching the rockets go up in the air. Yeah. Yeah, I like how he said to her, look up, just like his mother said to him. Mm-hmm. Does make me confused why the Borg Queen then said it to him, because she is neither of those people. But Oh, no, she was trying to make him feel at home, comfortable, understand it's going to be okay. Um, well, well, that's one of the reasons why when he, when Picard said, look up to Talon, and last week we saw the Borg Queen set off to save the dying, I was like, wait. Talon has now heard Picard say, look up. Does that mean she is going to join the collective and say it back to him? That's where my mind went when he said Oh, wow. I did not at all. No. (laughs) Queen left. Um, So there was no her coming back to pick up Talon. Right. I I was trying to figure out how does that work? Does she be like, oh, sorry, I forgot something. Oh, while I'm here, I see Talon's dying. Let me help you with that. (laughs) (laughs) No, did not occur. I I did not have that thought at all. Well, now, anytime I see somebody dying, I'm going to be like, where were the board when we needed you? Come on. <laughs> uh, I'll let you live that disappointment yourself. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is fine. Well, it's kind of like in uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. Like, oh, we've cured death now. All we need is eugenics blood. Great. Uh-huh. Con and trouble blood. No. Um, but right. Yeah. <laughs> uh or at least in that moment. Um, maybe the circumstances of him where you have to be, have died inside a starship on the Enterprise. You know, the con blood only works in extremely rare instances. Very <laughs> specific context, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and again, this isn't me making fun of Star Trek. I love everything that they do for the most part. I mean, some things are better than others. But when you have 800 plus episodes, I understand that sometimes you need to Break the mold, as Captain Pike would say. What's the point of having rules if you can't break them? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, if- and so, I can't help but point out these inconsistencies and where they should logically go. But that doesn't make me love it less. If they spent all their time on Wikipedia, they would never get a show written, right? <laughs> I remember right. Alpha. And this is why back in the eighties, DC Comics had Crisis on Infinite Earths because they had fifty years of story and history and they were stepping on themselves and on each other with the convoluted (laughs) stories. And they're like, let's simplify, let's reboot, get rid of all these infinite earth and just focus on one. (laughs) And unfortunately they eventually undid that because after 30 or 40 years, they're like, huh, things are boring on just one earth. We need some room (laughs) to grow. We need to expand, but now we have infinite plus one. They finally, finally got my kiss. (laughs) Raffi. Yes. Yes, I was. Who else would I be thinking of watching that scene except you, Sabriel? <laughs> it was beautiful and everything I wanted. <laughs> yeah. It was very. I'm glad that we got it sometime this season. It would have been. It would have left us hanging. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and they've been skirting that line of queer baiting for too long. Um, like. I don't know. There are times where it would have made sense to have their moments before. But also, it made sense to not to not until now. But uh, I'm glad they finally did it. I finally got through that, and uh, these two characters can now move on through some things that they've been working and struggling with for a long time. Yeah, seven with her Borg self and Raffi's fear of being alone. Yeah, yeah, I like that Raffi put forward the idea that she would take some time alone to work on herself. And I hope that Seven's kiss wasn't like, that's a stupid idea. (laughs) Not one bit. That did not come across at me at all. Because you can work on yourself and be with somebody else. Sometimes it's harder. Sometimes it's easier. uh Uh-huh. That didn't occur to me at all. And we got Captain Seven. Seven once again gets Rios' ship. Oh, that's right. Once again, I hadn't thought of it that way. (laughs) Uh, She looks so good on there. Besides Seven herself looking and Jerry Ryan looking amazing. Uh, but she looked very confident in that seat. Even did the lean into the captain's chair. <laughs> so good. She got that bit that so many dudes have gotten before. Um, and she got to have that role instead, which was aces. She even got to say, tell them, do not resist to the Bor- about the Borg. <laughs> when she said that line, I was like, mm, really? Are you saying that resistance is futile after all this time? <laughs> That's why she said, do not resist. Yeah, that was a very deliberate word choice. And tell them I, resistance is futile. 
Right. No. <laughs> Changing it up. But if she had said that, the rest of the fleet would have been like, oh, that ship is definitely compromised. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I loved that she didn't hesitate to sit in that chair. Mm-hmm. Oh, that brought me so much joy. She was there and just leaned into it so hard and not trying to reference the Sandberg thing. Uh, what's, just, uh, what's her face from Facebook? Or Meta. Uh, what's her name with her lean in book? Um, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she leaned into the situation <laughs> and. Uh, uh, I thought it was beautiful. Yeah. And this gives me more hope, not realistic hope, but hope nonetheless, that we someday will get a seven spinoff. Star Trek seven. <laughs> and, not, and not Star Trek seven. Because that'd be Star Trek generations. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, why they couldn't call it Star Trek seven back then. They had to change up the naming scheme. What? Wait, why could, oh, they couldn't call it seven because of seven of nine? Of course, clearly they had this plan thirty years ago. <laughs> Twenty years. Someday ago. she's going to get a spinoff, uh-huh. and we can't uh. have that name assigned to a movie. So we are on the bridge of the. Uh, sorry, what's Rios's ship's name? Stargazer. Oh yeah, Stargazer. That's right. Uh, so we're now on the Stargazer as we're talking about this, but I w- I want to go back before we talk about the Borg because that brings up for me a whole bunch of questions about timelines and stuff. I want to talk about. The scene between Picard and Q in the solarium. Can I jump right to there? Is that okay? Yeah. Because that scene, I've only watched it once now, but I have been living it and reliving it in my head ever since. And I don't do that with a lot of cinema. Like I think the last time I relived something in my head that often was Avengers Endgame. And that was three or four years ago. I think this scene has become one of my favorite scenes in all of Star Trek history. Interesting. (laughs) Fascinating. It was absolutely beautiful. I cried both times I viewed it. I was right. It was a gift to JL. Yeah. Uh, And the JL, he even told him, like, he has to, now he can learn basically to let someone love him, to love. Uh, It was a beautiful gift. And telling him just because it was just you. Because you matter. Oh. Yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah, he started the season, Q, by suggesting that the trial never ends. And this was implied to be some sort of a test. And even Picard asked, am I going to be needed for some sort of galactic import? And Q was like, why does it always have to be something like that? And Picard was like, then why does it matter? And Q was like, you matter to me. I was like, oh my God, like Picard didn't see that. There are two connotations there. One that Picard matters and one that Picard matters to Q. I mean, they have had such a fraught relationship. And even in this season, Picard has been saying, I'm sick of playing your games, Q and yelling at him and Q slapping him and giving his bloody nose. And that's not something I do with my friends, especially when I'm giving them gifts. Well, you are also not, um, you are not an omnipotent being. Well, there are a lot of differences there. Yeah, that's, that's definitely one of them. But, wow, after all this time, Q cared. He was telling him all that stuff just to get JL to do something. He wasn't... It, you, Q has always been a trickster god. He's always played his little games. There was, He told him exactly what JL was expecting to hear to get him to do something. And to have... A, he, JL's actions were all just because of Q. Because of Q. And maybe Q was the instigator, but it wasn't because of Q. It was because of himself. I've been saying JL knew exactly what it was. He did. The whole time. Uh, He never let himself admit it. He never admitted the entire season. But we'd see it in his eyes. We would see in his motions Mm -hmm. uh, that he needed to let go. It was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was getting Picard to that point, getting him to understand it, to acknowledge it and admit it. And also, like I said, just the things that Q admitted about himself. Like, he said, I'm dying, and Picard says, I know. Like, we, we had never actually... I think the only person Q admitted that to was Guinan, so Guinan must have told Picard. But then Q completes the sentence, alone. I'm dying alone, and I don't want that for you. And the old Q... 
he would have just snapped his fingers and given Picard some buxom blonde. And they're like, what? Isn't this what you want? But he was more authentic. He let Picard work it out for himself, which is amazing. Uh, he's always done that, though, hasn't he? Sometimes. I would have to go back and rewatch some of the Q episodes. I did recently see the end of one of his episodes with Voyager, his third and final episode on Voyager. Mm-hmm. And he and Janeway like, actually had an affectionate relationship. Like They were playful yeah. with their, each other, and I had forgotten that. I just thought he was always a jerk, but he's not always a jerk. I mean, he, like, Janeway's like, can't you just snap us home? And he tells him, well, then, something along the lines of, like, what's the point of the journey? Yeah, what example would I be setting for my son? That's what it was. Yeah, it was Q2. Or, um, the hug at the end, and the tears you could see welling up in his eyes as John Delancey and Q. It was beautiful. So I commented last week about how I was disappointed that Picard didn't cry when Talon hugged him. And I still think that's a missed opportunity. But this week, we saw Picard express physical affection for another man or male representing species. And that's not the first time we saw that. We commented on Transporter Lock last season about how Picard and Riker were sitting by the lake with their arms around each other. And so I love that consistency. I love seeing these small gestures that nonetheless break gender norms of the early 21st century. I thought that hug was so important and so powerful because we had learned in the solarium that Q cared about Picard. In this scene, we saw that Picard cares about Q. I mean, it's also just an attestment to, again, old age mm-hmm. as well, which is yeah. beautiful. Friends saying goodbye. Which you don't always get to do. Mm-hmm. It's like, we, we may get this, I mean, obviously characters wise, but we may get to see each other again, but I'm saying, you know, have your closure then. So, you know. Yeah. And we may never see Q again because we presume he's gone. Uh, I don't know. We don't know why he was dying. Uh, I, I, ho- I don't know if it was old age or if it's the entire Q continuum that's dying. Like we know that they can reproduce, we saw that. So I hope that there is still Q out there, and that not that and that little Q isn't now gone as well. But uh, he even said, "In your parlance, I'm dying." Uh, yeah. So whatever that means to Q, it might it probably is as close to an anal- analogous thing, and he could compare it to. Yeah. Um, and he, Q got to go out like a, on a, as a shining star instead of. A dying star. Uh, yeah. Because he was telling Guinan, you know, he's fading out. So, yeah, he got that. When he appeared in the woods, Rafi put her hands around his throat. <laughs> and he started saying, you mother effer. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. I think the only person Q had previously appeared to this season was Picard and Guinan. I think so. Okay. So, I, so Rafi was making... Uh, a logical leap that the person she was seeing was Q, because she didn't know that for sure. I mean, for all we know, they've had pictures in the past of this being, he's appeared on the bridge. Uh, it's probably pretty clear who it is, too. Then maybe you just know when you're in the presence of Q, that it's Q. Mm. Uh, <laughs> if you know him, because clearly Renee didn't, but, uh, or if he wants it, you know it. Uh, maybe he's like the Sims, he has a little green crystal over his but, head that says Q. Uh, maybe, or, you know, it's just, these characters know each other for a while. It makes mm-hmm. sense for him, her to know. To me, it made sense for her to him know him. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, I was thinking something similar about how I don't think Guinan met anybody but Picard in this season either. Like, I don't think she hung out with Rios or Rafi or Seven. At least that we saw. Right. And so... Uh, that, no, there was a scene where young Guinan was with some of them. Was the bar wasn't there? Yeah, because they were talking, and then they got a. Re- oh no, no, no! It was just JL. Nope, I was confusing some scenes. I was conflated some scenes. Um, doesn't mean she doesn't know. Uh, she has a very long lifespan. Uh, she even told us in the bar that she couldn't JL JL anything. She knew the whole time what was going to happen here. Hmm. For all we know, Young Guinan did know who he was, but she had to play it off to make sure events happened. Hmm. 
I know there was concern about like, what about this episode that happened? Like, nothing here negated that episode happening. Guinan was young. Guinan was just playing, playing it like she didn't know JL. And I still feel it's a little inconsistent with Times Era. We had a in-universe explanation uh, earlier in this season, and I don't feel like it's valid anymore. See, I don't think it's inconsistent. You think that Guinan was pretending not to know Picard? She said at the end. She didn't call it that scene, but she basically she said, like, I couldn't tell you. I just ha- I knew if I guided you, you would get to where you needed to be. That's what she was talking about? The whole, no, the whole lifetime. Everything that's happened now. I'm going to have to rewatch that. She doesn't talk about that specific moment or even necessarily the specific events here. She couldn't tell John Luke all these decades she's known him about these events because she knew. Because uh, uh, she right. didn't want to mess up with the, with the timeline. No, I get that. I get that in the, in the time between when Picard season two ended and when TNG began, she, and even, or the course of TNG and everything afterwards, she couldn't say anything. But I think in Picard season two, she legitimately did not know who Picard was. Oh, see, I, 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 I can see that, but I also think she did. Uh, that's just me. Uh, we don't know how Elurians work uh, and how they flow through time, exactly. Yeah, yeah so, I just don't. I just don't see the benefit to her pretending because they would have both already met in Time Zero, mm-hmm. so they both would have known each other by the time of Picard season two. I don't pretend to know, and I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh. To her, apparently, to me, to her, it felt like she had to play it off. I was a little disappointed with what she told us about how Rios died in a really? bar fight. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad for everything he and Teresa did in their lifetimes with founding of the butterflies, etc. But, I mean, I granted, as she said, he died as he lived, you know, with his boots on. But, and a cigar know, in like, his mouth. <laughs> that's true. But like I, I'm thinking, I'm, I apologize, I don't remember his name, but there are only so many people who have ever walked on the moon. And one of those astronauts came back to Earth and died in a motorcycle accident. And I was just like, oh, for a piece of living history to die in such a meaningless way. And maybe Rios' death wasn't meaningless because he was fighting over medical supplies. But like, imagine finding out like the person you just killed with a knife in a bar traveled 400 years from the future to be there like, <laughs> that that would that just makes it all the more profound a loss in my opinion but i i'm glad that he got his lifetime with teresa i wish we had seen more of them together in this episode because i teresa like it when barely had any lines exactly like i like it when she's fiery and this week we only saw her like sort of doing the side hug with rios and putting her hand on his belly and that was kind of it yeah, uh, her bit there was not any part of her. We just didn't get any of her. Basically, just saying raising Ricardo is a piece of cake. Uh, I mean, yeah. Uh, she, both times I watched this, like she was did not get enough to say here. She was just the eye candy, uh, more or less, and that was unfortunate. Yeah, I definitely agree, and especially with Rios last week. Just saying that he's thought about it and he can't stay behind. And then this week he changed his mind. I wish we had gotten a little bit more of the internal dialogue that helped him get from one decision to the other. Yeah, I can fill in those gaps in my head, but it would be neat to see it. They're not restricted to one hour. <laughs> yeah, I know they like, can um, shoot for it, but they're not restricted to it. Yeah, like imagine a scene in this week where Rios or Teresa were in mortal danger. And it made them realize just how important the other person was to them. And then I'd be like, yeah, you got to stay because you almost lost it. And now that you know what there is to lose, you have to hold on to it all the more tightly. We didn't get that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the character I really enjoyed. I honestly thought he was going to stick around until basically the cast announcement for season three. Then I was like, "Mm, I could see it going either way now. (laughs) Is he in season three? No. Oh. Uh, the fact that he was n- announced or not announced as part of it either. Um, uh, same with Elnor. Oh, he's not in season three. He he just put it on Instagram like a day or two ago that he's not going to be in season three. 
Well, you and I were wondering how much of the Picard crew and the TNG crew were going to overlap, and I guess we're narrowing those options. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's, it's a lot of people to put on there, but I guess we'll see how it works out. Um, it's a bummer. I also find it a bummer that Elnor only got a Zoom call uh, <laughs> in the end, uh, and not actually got like holography or something like that. Remind me, at the beginning of this season, in episode one, was he on the Excelsior? Yeah, I'm, I, I, I saw that episode twice and I've already forgotten, but I'm pretty sure he was assigned to the Excelsior. Okay. And were you surprised to see that he was brought back to life? No, when Q said, maybe there's a little bit of energy, I've got a little surprise for you. No, not surprised one bit. Happy. I smiled that he was there, but um, I wish Rafi even could have said, we'll talk about it later. Harmonize the shields. Do the thing, uh, you know. Uh, but I'm happy he was there. He got, but he, his final scene in the sh- in the show was a call. Yeah. I mean, no, no correction. He was a, a ten forward. He was a ten forward. He did oh, that's get a right. Scene. He had the he, he had drank. I that's that's that what was I was. Is it supposed to worry? What's that? Is alcohol? Is suppo- oh, hold on. Being you, not being a drinker. <laughs> I thought you were actually asking. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> but that was also funny. <laughs> Sorry to throw you off. Didn't mean to. <laughs> um, no, no. He did get a final scene. That's right. I even just finished this episode a half hour before, a second time before we talked about it. Um, the Zoom call was stuck in my head. Um, no, that's fair. I didn't know when Q said a little surprise what he meant. So that was oh, a really? nice surprise for me. And I'm it's glad. nice to think about the fact that Rio staying behind is what brought Elnor back. Yeah. I mean, we never know what Q's saying, but I'm pretty sure it's what he was trying to imply. But yeah. he, you know, Q being Q. Uh, but I think that's what he meant. Yeah, me too. I like that. <laughs> the only thing we haven't talked about, which we still need to, as far as I know, unless I've overlooked anything else, is Agnes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. She was the clockwork queen. <laughs> and we had we uh we re- we found out and resolved the galactic threat in five minutes not yep. a whole season <laughs> <laughs> that'll be a different season or a different show uh-huh uh yeah uh and i saw some people be like why didn't she tell picard sooner so he would have known it was her well she had to make sure the timeline happened the way it did so she could be there to say it. she couldn't tell picard until things flashed back to the way she was expecting. It is a little confusing, though, because it means that Agnes was on the Stargazer the first time when it did blow up, Mm -hmm. and then she got brought back in time by Q and lived another 400 years and now got to be on the bridge again of the Stargazer from the other side. And she just hoped that this time it would turn out differently when she didn't know for sure that it would. No, she... She was very attuned to the time pathways. We've seen that before. Okay. See, I hadn't thought of that, and that's a great answer. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, both. So, from the if you were a person on that bridge, all of a sudden, both Agnes and Rios disappeared. Yep. Um, <laughs> and now, an XB captain is telling you, "Listen to this other XB who is now going to be captain uh, or admiral, whatever, uh, <laughs> yep. to listen to the Borg." Like, okay. Boop, boop, boop. I'm going to push these buttons and just hope. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It, yeah. The crew of the Stargazer had all manners of reasons to be suspicious, as we discussed. But, <laughs> but I'm glad they didn't. Uh, yeah. Uh, I. It does mean, though, that they have been out there for 400 years. They did send 400-year-in-the-future technology back to the 21st century with which to create this new species. Uh it does mean that Q was always meant to meddle with the timeline, just like those bullet holes that Picard found in his chateau, which means that like Q is the one who emancipated Corey from Soong, and she then deleted the files, which then led Soong to open the con file. So it could be like Q's fault that we had the eugenics wars when we did, at least. There's just so many implications to what Q has done here. Uh, to me, it sounds like everything played out exactly as it was supposed to. Nothing changed about the timeline. Right. It's, but it's sort of a predestination paradox. Like, things played out the way they're supposed to because Q had already or always had meddled with the timeline. I don't know. 
uh, as Janeway said. <laughs> right, right. Uh, 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 it's confusing. And, and also, like, time. Well, like, they were trying to, like, they said, oh, we got all these broken tricorders and com badges, so we eliminated all the butterflies. What about all the Borg soldiers you killed and all the kids they're not going to have now? Um, apparently, they were already going to be assimilated. Right, because they I already mean, had. This is just as much Q's fault as it is John Luke's, as it is Rappi's, Seven's, Wesley Crusher's. Oh, Wesley. I mean... Do you th- do you think that Q meant for Picard to go back into the past? Because he said to Guinan, I didn't do that. He did it to himself. Yeah, he knew it was going to play out this way. He huh. can see every time of an event at once. So he... He knew all along it was going to play out this way. Because I was trying to figure out if Q didn't mean for Picard to go back in the past. He just wanted Picard to see the end of the road not taken. 400 years of conquering and now you are the borg slayer if that was the context in which q want to learn uh, he wanted picard to learn that lesson i wonder how that would have played out like how does becoming the borg slayer help him overcome what happened to his mother it's a very even if q meant for him to go back into the past it's a very convoluted way to learn that lesson that's q to me i mean we saw him be robin hood we saw this him is, in his vicious animal things, killing Wesley with a bayonet. I mean, we've seen him true. do lots of things. It's true. You, we cannot fathom the ways of the gods. Literally, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I mean, no, it feels like cop a cop-out in some extent, but that's meant to be an omnipotent character that we are not meant to understand everything about. He's mm-hmm. not human. Even though he consistently appears as such... We have to remind ourselves that he is not. Star Trek Picard, to me, is giving, and I suspect season three is going to be the same, it's giving me closure with TNG in ways that I didn't think we'd ever get Mm. or thought we even, I mean, okay, here, with Picard so far, we've gotten closure or something close to it with Q, Guinan, Data, and even Wesley. And season three, we're getting all the original cast back together. Everybody else. Uh, all the Alive Bridge crew. Um, it feels like we're getting a better send-off than Nemesis. Uh, and I appreciate that. I like it. Me too. I feel like season one of Picard, we got that closure on Data, but I feel like season two was a greater quantity of closure. Mm-hmm. You know, even though it did have to not just close the lore, for the lowercase l, but expand it. Like we didn't, we didn't really know anything about Picard's mother except for that season one episode of TNG, and now we have a new context with which to go back and watch that episode, and maybe even go back and watch all the episodes where Picard was dating people, and mm-hmm. watch for how it played out and how and why it didn't work out. Yeah, um, IGN, the website, rated this one of the worst seasons of Star Trek ever. <laughs> And I don't know what rates as best, but wow. Uh, opinions on this throughout the universe, our world have been very mixed. And I liked it. I think there are plenty of things that could have gone better or been done better. But overall, I liked the season. Um I liked it a lot more than season one. I remember, the, I know it just we just watched it, but I already remember so much more. And things meant so much more to me in season two than did in one. I liked 40% of this season. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, really liked it. I mean, there's bits here and there, but... Yeah. Yeah, like, Teresa wasn't really a big part of the episodes I liked. And yet I really liked the parts that she was in of the six episodes I didn't like. Uh-huh. So it's very uneven and inconsistent. Yeah, uh, but say, to say to say it's worse than like TNG season one, oof. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, it's like TNG season one had a lot of things that um, were seeds to later stuff that were great. Um, but yeah, basically, they, I mean, like yeah, calling it one of the worst start seasons of Star Trek ever is oof. Uh, <laughs> and also, we have to take into account that season one of TNG had. 22 episodes and this only had 10 tv was very different back then certainly was yes they not seen season three of tos i mean come on 
Um, I'm not. I'm not sure. I have, so I can't yeah. wait. Uh, on it's this. okay. But mm, I've never ever in my life thought to call something the best season over season of Star Trek, and was seeing IGN's headline like, "Wow." Uh, they just they just thought like a lot of it was a waste of time and filler things that we thought we've said before, but we didn't think it meant it was terrible. We just thought it could do better. Uh, you yeah. know, me- mediocre, middling, like the whole everything that Seven, Raffi, and Rios did for the most part uh, in didn't this matter. season didn't matter. It was filler, but I think that would it will serve better in a binge watch. Mm. But it doesn't change that their stuff didn't matter. Um, so I would have loved to see more of that. Um, it was the John Luke season, and that's what the show was about him. So hey, of course he's gonna be main star of his own show. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've often thought that season four of Enterprise was some of the best because it tied so much into Star Trek lore. And mm-hmm. Picard season two did some of that too. Yeah. So, um, well, I don't know what would be the best or worst. I don't think this would, <laughs> I don't feel this qualifies as worst. Yeah. Uh, also, briefly, we should mention that the Borg, they're still calling them the Borg. Yeah, which is, they didn't mention the Legion word. Yeah, because there are the Borg that we have always known for the last 20, 30 years out there. Those are a. They're not mutually exclusive, and it doesn't seem accurate to call them both Borg. Uh, but this Borg requested provisional membership in the Federation so that they can be guardians of the gate. Mm-hmm. So whatever uh, this future bad thing is going to be. Yeah, kind of like how DS9 was the gateway to the Delta Quadrant. Now the Legion is the gateway to whatever this transport conduit leads to. And they said that they know it's a threat, which, given the massive destructive power of the formation of the transport conduit is a reasonable assumption that it is a threat, but without knowing who created or where they're coming from, we don't know for sure. Ah, yeah. Uh, Agnes just said, even with our collective minds, we don't know. So that means it has to be something that is new to the timeline. Well, hopefully everything past this point is. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah. Otherwise overall, I had a good time with this season and I can't wait to watch it again. I will not be watching it again, but I'm not doing that exclusively to this season. I'm just not a rewatcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have other Star Trek to watch. Speaking of which, shall we share our plans for Strange New Worlds? Yeah, hit it. <laughs> so Strange New Worlds has debuted. Oh, I got what you did there. Uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed Cinco de Mayo. I opened the day by watching Picard. It's the first thing I did in the morning and I got home late at night and watched Strange New Worlds. It was a great bookend to end uh-huh. something and then begin something. And Strange New Worlds is out. It's going to run for 10 episodes, and we are going to be covering it on Transporter Lock, but not to the extent that we have been covering Picard and Discovery, because when we started this podcast five years ago, Discovery was the only Star Trek on the air, and we had no reason to believe that there would be anything else. And so we were doing like 10 to 14 podcast episodes a year. There's a lot more Star Trek to cover now. And we right now uh, have recorded more episodes of Transporter Lock in the first four months of 2022 than we did in all of 2021 in the 12 months of that year. And by the time Strange New Worlds is over, if we were to do one podcast episode per episode of that show, we would record more episodes than we did in 2020 and 2019 combined in just the first six months of this year. (laughs) So for our own benefit, mostly (laughs) to pace ourselves so that we don't burn out, so that Transporter Lock stays alive and well, well into the future, we're going to cover Strange New Worlds at a slightly scaled back pace. We are going to review the first episode, which just aired. We'll be doing that early next week. And it sounds like due to some scheduling, there will be me and a guest covering that. And then Captain Sabriel, you and I will reunite to check in mid-season after episode number five. So we'll be talking about episodes two, three, four, and five. And then we'll come back and talk about the end of the season after episodes six, seven, eight, nine, and ten have aired. So we'll be doing three podcast episodes to cover ten episodes of Strange New Worlds. Did I get that right? Yes. Excellent. So that is our plan. We have uh, finished Picard. We're not going to do a separate episode that recaps the whole season because we sort of did that today. We tied it in Yeah, we've we've been pretty comprehensive throughout the season thinking about what our thoughts were on this episode. So that brings us to the end of 
Picard season two. So we're going to, like I said, cover Strange New Worlds, and there will be more Discovery, more Lower Decks, more Picard, and more Prodigy. And we'll figure out how we're going to cross those galactic barriers when they arrive. But there will definitely be more transporter lock with your captain and chief engineer in the future. Sound good? Sounds good. Fantastic. Until then. See you out there. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at Transporter Lock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. Hey guys, girls, remember girls? Girls are good. I like them a lot on Next Gen.